0: Good morning, church. It's such a blessing to be here and get to talk to you about one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I relate to this woman in so many ways. I haven't been married five times. I haven't been married even once. I live with a tiny three-pound dog and a roommate. But I do tend to go off alone. And we find this woman alone in this story as well. This has led me to get lost in places like the Highlands of Scotland and Australia, and most recently, a desert in Southern California. But I like to wander when I have something on my mind and on my heart, when I need a good think. And I think this tendency to wander came from my dad. He was, in all intents and purposes, a hippie. Now, of course, he didn't grow up a hippie. Uh, He grew up in the Episcopal Church. He was actually... He was an altar boy. As he would say it, they had all the smells and bells, all the incense and ringing that happens when you're in a high church service. But along the way, his parents switched to Roman Catholicism and my dad switched to complete indifference. Then the Vietnam War. My dad joined the Navy and was stationed in the Philippines. And although he didn't see action, he did come face to face with death. A man he'd been training was unable to clear his ears during a dive and his inner ear burst and he became confused and and swam downward instead of upward and drowned. My dad, a very stoic man, was suddenly shaken, shaken awake. It was obvious to him at that time that something had left his friend's body, that his friend's body no longer contained a soul He couldn't deny after that moment the existence of a spiritual world. So after the war, he sold everything and he took off in search of the truth. He spent his years after the war hitchhiking around the U.S. and Canada. He tried joining a yoga community. He ended up not liking the way they smelled. He even tried a cult and had to escape in the night. He wrote a short book about this and it's free online. If anybody ever wants to check it out, I find it personally riveting. The one thing my dad was convinced of as he was searching for truth was that it could not be found among Christians. That is, until one day, sitting under a tree in Gatati, north of San Francisco, a greasy guy, this is how my dad tells the story, a greasy guy approached him in a pinstripe suit, eyes going all over the place, the epitome of what some of us think of when we think of a street evangelist. And after a little arguing back and forth with this man, the man convinced my dad to join a small group of Christians living together in a converted schoolhouse, a very 70s thing for Christians to do. For a week, my dad said, he read the Gospel of John. He was intrigued by this man, Jesus. His heart was starting to open to the truth, the truth that Jesus might be who he said he was. Jesus may be God. One night, uh, the little community gathered to play praise songs, most likely with a tambourine and (laughs) some guitars. Uh, And My dad, definitely not a singer to say the least, he began singing with all his heart. He tells the story that he began to cry. Tears came to his eyes for the first time since he was a little boy. And in that moment, he knew that Jesus' spirit had filled him, had met his spirit. He was able in that moment to worship with the spirit because he knew the truth. My dad had met the man Jesus who knew him completely. My dad could not hide anything anymore from Jesus. And in that moment, my dad knew also that he was completely loved, accepted, and healed. My dad had had a taste of grace, and that changed everything. Only a week before, my dad could have named 100 things that would have kept him from being with this ragtag group of Jesus movement hippies, and now he was one of them. See, the world doesn't need another argument about who's politically right or how to raise your children or the best route for financial success. The world needs people who've shared a drink with Jesus. The world needs people who've tasted grace. And yet I'll be the first to confess that I'm not always drinking this living water that Jesus refers to in the story. I'm drawing from that dusty old well water, drawing from the things I know, the traditions I've learned, my political party's views, my most recently read article in The Atlantic. I'm not saying people who follow Jesus check their brains at the door. But I am saying I can strive so hard after the things that leave me empty, when Jesus has life-giving grace that can refresh my soul daily and refresh everyone around me. So when we're living that parched life, how can we return to this living water? Well, let's take three cues from the story of Jesus and this woman at the well. Living water is found in unexpected places, with unexpected people, and it makes unexpected relationships. Jesus, at the beginning of this story, is found in an unexpected place. Verse 4 tells us that he must go through Samaria. Now, it's true, historians say it was a shortcut to where he wanted to be, but we don't have any reason to think that Jesus was in any kind of hurry If he were in a hurry, why would he have stopped for a drink and a chat? On top of that, a proper Jewish rabbi would not go through Samaria. Samaritans were descended from Jews left behind during the Syrian and Babylonian invasions when those empires took mostly the Jewish elite to their countries. The leftovers married non-Jews. They maintained only part of the scripture that's the bedrock of the Jewish faith, and they built their temple on the wrong mountain. And that's the tip of the iceberg. They were the wrong ethnicity, they were the wrong religion, and when Jewish people returned to their land to build the right temple, they were quick to exclude the Samaritans who had offered to help. There was a history of outbursts, violence, and deep hatred. Can you imagine living through a time in history like that? Can you imagine it? I hope you hear my voice dripping with sarcasm because all times in history are like that, including our own. (laughs) That is just how people are. And when I think of my time, my place, right now, I also have to think of my Samaria. I have to question, do I go around Samaria? I have to admit to you today, I would and I often do. See, my Samaria, it might be as local as a dinner with friends who I know don't see eye to eye on the political views on the same politics or a group of brothers and sisters from church who start to argue about the way they see the Bible. I hate conflict. My Samaria might be the refugee crisis, our overrun prisons, our children without foster homes because I hate problems that I can't solve. Left to myself, I'd turn off the news. I'd stick to my comfortable places and people who agree with me. I would avoid the pain and the mess. And yet there in the pain and the mess, there's Jesus. In fact, we're told he must be there. Jesus had an appointment in Samaria. Jesus, who came not for the healthy but for the sick, Mark two seventeen. Jesus, who will leave ninety nine for the one to chase after the one, Mark eighteen twelve. Jesus is found in the unexpected places, and when I'm willing to cross my borders, that's where I can where I can find Jesus, where I can share a drink with Jesus and have a taste of grace because Jesus is found in those unexpected places and he loves unexpected people. Archbishop Desmond Tutu once said, we may be surprised at the people we find in heaven because God has a soft spot for sinners. His standards are quite low. It wasn't just that a respectable rabbi wouldn't talk alone to an unaccompanied woman or that a Jew wouldn't be talking to a Samaritan. Those facts alone could start the rumor mill that would drag Jesus' name. But she's also drawing water at noon in the heat of the day by herself. Now we know from history that women, women drew water in the morning, in the cool of the day, they would get the water for the day. And we know from middle school, that girls do things together. I can say that because I was a middle school girl. We went to the bathroom together. This woman has all the markings of an outcast. But Jesus doesn't address any of that to begin with. Jesus instead piques this woman's interest with outrageous requests. Give me some water. And even more outrageous answers to her questions. I have water that quenches thirst forever. A brilliant dialogue that I hope you savored this week around your table, going through your devotional guide, or maybe uh, tapping into our Menlo midweek which has exciting new insights into the stories we study each day. In shattering this woman's expectations with his questions and his behaviors, Jesus invites this woman to open up, to get curious. Layer by layer, he helps her to reveal everything that she imagines is separating her from Jesus. The well is too deep to share the water. How could she share her water with him. They're so deeply divided by race and rules. A Jewish man would never share a drinking vessel with a Samaritan woman. She worships on the wrong mountain. She's a woman with a bad reputation. Jesus isn't interested in any of that. He's interested in sharing a drink with this woman. He's interested in seeing her wholly and loving her completely. He's interested in giving her a taste of grace. See, when I'm drawing from the well, what I know, the traditions I hold, the things that I do, my failure to live up to my ideal, it produces shame. And shame separates. It separates me from God. It reminds me of my failure. It separates me from others. And shame breeds more shame. I begin to project that shame onto others, assuming they too should feel the shame that I feel. Grace, on the other hand, it's outrageous. It's curious, and it's no respecter of boundaries. It's no respecter of shame. Living water unites us in grace, invites us to be curious about each other, vulnerable and open and honest before one another and before our Lord. And the church can be a place where we find living water. It was for our friend Pam. Pam was a single mom of twins struggling alone with her first experience of motherhood. And, and my dad, who had started a business when I was in middle school, he hired her to give her some support and stability. My family, my dad, mom, us, we were there for her when she had uh, her pregnancy, her birth. My dad had a practice of hiring all kinds of people because he felt like God had something for them. Jesus had something for, him, for them at his business. Jesus' love and generosity just poured out through my dad. And Pam was attracted to that. She wanted to know more about the spirit that she sensed in my family. So she joined our church to find out more about this Jesus. And she loved it. There she found that grace. Until one woman in the church, one woman in the church overheard Pam talking about the struggles of raising twins alone and saying she will not have more children. Now, I want you to know I don't have kids. And shout out to all of us in the audience, in the group, who don't have kids. I know that there are middle schoolers, there are high schoolers in the room, and I'm excited about that. But let me just give you some advice that I've learned when you don't have kids. This is is important advice, so listen up. When you don't have kids it's not appropriate to compare them to having a tiny three-pound dog. It's just not the same. I hear that having kids is tough. Having kids as a single mom is really tough. Having twins, you get the picture. But this other woman, she believed so strongly in having as many kids as God would allow. She believed she needed to share with this single mom and not just share it, but share it with force. And she didn't know this mom that well. And when she shared that you should not stop having children, it wouldn't be right. You can imagine the shame that welled up in Pam's heart. She did leave that church. I was only in middle school, and at the time, I remember that instance. I remember feeling like like somebody had brought up a detail that they themselves maybe felt some shame about. They brought up a detail that that clouded out the grace that Pam had tasted. I knew they had different convictions, both these women, but I'd also heard of a God and I knew a God who extends grace past those differences. My parents were living testimonies to this. I'm grateful to share that Pam did find another church home but how often do we hold each other? How often do we hold Jesus at arm's length because of some shame that we are feeling within us, because of some unattainable standard we're holding ourselves to? The old well water to which we insist on returning when Jesus is offering life giving water, the grace that washes away the shame. Because when we share a drink with Jesus, when we taste the grace, Our shame is shattered. And through that rubble, Jesus can build unexpected relationships. The end of this story is so dramatically different from the start. I love it. This lonely woman rushes into town to friends and family she didn't even seem to have in the beginning. Who's she telling? She's telling the friends who left her alone at the well or the five husbands? We don't know. But she tells them the truth that she has met a man who knew her completely and it freed her completely. She's credited with starting a revival among the Samaritans. This woman was no longer ashamed. She was found, she was known, she'd been seen and she'd had a taste of grace. And what did that prompt her to do? Invite everyone around her to meet Jesus as she had. Jesus found an unexpected woman in an unexpected place, and he shared a drink, a taste of grace with her. It restored her, and it overflowed to her whole community. This we'll be learning in next week's Lent devotional reading is why Jesus came He calls it his food. It's everything he lives for. Jesus did this for this woman, and he did this for my dad. He's done it for me. And my only aim is to keep passing the cup. Because people need people who have shared a drink with Jesus. Howard Thurman, a respected author and an inspiration to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., He wrote extensively on crossing boundaries, on extending grace to one another. But he said once, it's remarkable that the only thing Jesus' disciples are recorded asking Jesus to teach them, the only thing they're recorded asking Jesus to teach them is to pray we read in Luke 5:16 that Jesus withdrew often to pray. And we can draw all day from the deep well of expectations or assumptions, our shame, from our habits that we have that bring us comfort and security, our opinions that make us feel better than others, our traditions. But when we withdraw, when we allow God to meet us at that well, offer us a drink of living water, that's when we can taste his grace, when we withdraw to pray. Silence can be uncomfortable. It can bring up those uncomfortable thoughts and truths that we spend so much time avoiding. And yet that's when Jesus, he wants to be there the most That's where Jesus wants to be in our truth, in our vulnerability, because that's where he can extend healing grace. That's when Jesus changes everything. So withdraw daily, be vulnerable before Christ, remind yourself of the gospel truth that he's rescued you. Allow grace to seep into every crevice of your heart and then go out cross borders, ask questions, invite the unexpected. Because that's where you'll find Jesus, in the unexpected places with unexpected people ready to build unexpected relationships. My dad was no evangelist. He was a man who shared a drink with Jesus and continued to live satisfied in the living water day after day and year after year overflowing to everyone he knew. But after a massive heart attack in 2018, my dad found himself in that eternally satisfied place with Jesus. And although there was such deep sadness in our family, among our loved ones, and our friends, I've also never attended a memorial so full of unlikely people who were so joyful Everyone who encountered my dad knew there was something different, something that overflowed about him. He was generous to the point that it didn't make sense to people. He would hire people that seemed unhirable because he believed Jesus had a plan for them while working for him. And he told everyone about this man, Jesus, who reached a place in his heart that he didn't know could ever be reached. He'd shared a drink with Jesus, and it changed everything.